1: Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself.
2: The ideal man bears the accidents of life with dignity and grace making the best of circumstances." That quote is from Aristotle. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be The Star Wars volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events we have coming up. And also visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. For today's Express Yourself show, we're focusing on the gift of grace. I'm Kenneth Chun.
3: And I'm Siri Paninja. Today's chapter is from Cynthia Chung, who is a proud daughter and older sister of a pretty awesome family. She likes baking chocolate chip cookies, hiking trails and mountains in the mornings, and reading adventure books. Without further ado, here's the great gift of grace. As my head bashfully fell to my toes when friends pinned a compliment on my kindness, they'd slap my shoulder and ascribe my reaction as an act of modesty. All the while, I would mentally calculate the revenue of a corrupt deal that they were wholly unaware of and one that I habitually purported. In turn, for a portion of their hearts and their words, I knowingly received the bittersweet reward of being perceived as good on my end of the bargain. In those moments, I felt like an envoy between those friends and the devil. Sometimes, I felt like the devil itself.
2: I read once that people did not do nice things for the heck of it. People do nice things for nice things in return. It's no surprise, then, to say that shortly thereafter, my view of the world gradually grew dimmer as my droopy eyelids collected dust and rust. I observed relationships around me and wondered at the compensations within them, such as which party the balance tipped towards more favorably, or if energy input equals energy output. I shifted uncomfortably nightly due to the hazy paradox of being bad by intentionally doing good. Meanwhile, I failed to notice my escalating detachment from the earth, my ascent into space. After floundering to grasp at some lifeline that would buoy me towards safe ground and accepting defeat... A revelation struck me while reflecting upon the very gravity of that situation. I was terribly alone, or so I thought.
3: Up there, stuck between the stars, I found company and solace in a voice. It was a voice laced with wisdom, humility, grace, milk, and honey. It belonged to a shepherd who oversaw the whole earth and his sheep, as well as the personal relationships of his people on the earth, with ease He'd spin the planet like a plastic globe, point, and then recount true stories of love pertaining to their respective locations. From up there, I could see the world with a fresh perspective, for he filled my poor eyes with stars. Instinctively, I inquired what I should do for him in return for this benevolent gesture, and guess what? In response, he broke out into a thunderous roar of laughter. The universe trembled and the stars danced. Why do you laugh? I would plead and press, were you like me, wanting to be merely thought upon as good and almighty by your people and sheep, holding impurity inside the deepest cavities of your heart for these selfish intentions?
2: But I knew his heart was whole. It was only mine that needed healing, but not up there, not yet, at least. I was safely sent back down to earth on a dream cloud, and I was not bitter or lonely, because I knew very well that God was up there and everywhere, watching over all his loved ones. Yes, he would recounted true instances of love, but he'd also revealed true instances of guilt, hate, sin. However, to my surprise, he viewed these areas of of weaknesses as workshops for perfection. By his powerful mercy and bountiful grace, he was giving us all the time and chance to mend ourselves and others before allowing us to join him.
3: He knew, more than I, of my rotten heart and its self-serving motives. He picked me up from the dirt and treated my sight and made me anew. He returned to my family and friends, to whom I instantly showered in truth and in love. He monitored the progress of my healing, still imperfect, heart. I did not deserve his grace, and I had nothing to give him in compensation. And guess what? He loved me anyway.
2: And the exercise at the end of the chapter is called True Love. To my surprise, he viewed these areas of weakness as workshops for perfection. The familiar verse, Corinthians 13, 4, 7, personifies love perfectly. Go and give it a quick read if you want to. and night, spare some time to reflect on your relationships with those around you. Identify those that are sound and distinguish, from them, from, distinguish them from those that are relatively less stable. Think of gracious acts you can do for the former to express, express your appreciation for them in your life. Trust your heart, but refer to the verse if you are unsure of your ideas. Then consider opening up to those whose bond with you is weak.
3: Forgive them and accept them without condition or reward, as you would have liked to be done unto you. Have courage and don't fear being honest in your concerns, for love too often prevails, especially in areas of weakness. Sleep on these thoughts. Carry out these acts of true love at your own pace, so long as time and chances are offered. And the quote, By grace I live, by grace I'm released, by grace I give and by grace I will release
2: yeah so I think that was really nice um, I'm personally not religious but I think I that um, her problem about you know having the cynical take on every relationship in her life is something that I've definitely felt before um, for some reason kind of viewing all the people you know as um, I guess other entities that exist to benefit off of you and other people. Um, Yeah, and, you know, I guess the only way out of that is kind of just to trust that because if, you know, you try to treat other people with kindness just for the sake of kindness, you can trust that other people will do that to you as well.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, on the other hand, I actually go to the temple every now and then. Um, So I'm more religious, but I could have, um, I could totally relate to this you know I feel like it provides me solace. I really liked the last few sentences which was talking about forgiveness and accepting people without condition or reward I think that is um, especially a really huge um, thing that we as you know humans we have to um, do um, because forgiveness is important and we should not have any you know guilt or we should not hold any grudges toward people so I thought that was like a fantastic um, lesson that this entire chapter talked about.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just not being caught up in all those complications with like, oh, like feeling guilt at how you, and the details of how you treat other people, how you respond to how other people treat you, things like that. You know, just act well, act kindly to other people and, you know, trust that things will be fine.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, a few um, weeks ago, or actually it was last year, like at the end of the school year, um, they gave out these nice notes to everyone um, because it was finals week, and I just felt like that was true um, friendship. And the teachers, um, for the teachers, we wrote these post-it notes, um, and then we stuck them on their window. And I think we have to spread spread more kindness in this world, and all these small acts of gratitude are kind of, you know, very important and they go a long way. So I think if I were to say that I learned something today, it would be that we'd have to spread more kindness, um, even through small gestures. That means a lot to many people.
2: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I've kind of had similar things happen at my school where like near the end of the year, not necessarily even at the end of the year, just, I don't know, certain days, I guess, where people are just being positive maybe coming back from a break or something and yeah it's really nice to just appreciate when people are that positive and like outgoing to uh, outgoing to each other and just saying nice things
0: okay. yeah so
2: i'd really like to thank cynthia for this really touching little story about grace um audience support more amazing segments like this one by donating to the be the star you are 501c3 literacy charity that brings you this program also, Be the Star You Are's Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund is going on right now. Be the Star You Are desperately needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Help ship books to victims of natural disasters today at www.bethestaryouare.org. You can even donate through PayPal Giving Fund with no additional fees. I'm Kenneth Chun.
3: And I'm Siri Panindra. And you've been listening to the Gift of Grace on Express Yourself with Be the Star You Are. Please make sure to watch be the star you are fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash be the star you are pick up our newest anthology be the star you are millennials to boomers celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world at cynthiabryancom slash online dash store and also please make sure to stick around as we continue our show on the gift of grace
0: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are.
0: If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at be BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com.
1: Change Your World change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
0: Welcome back
3: to Express Yourself Clean Radio on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm Siri Panindran. You're listening to The Gift of Grace. We are so excited to have Raven Digitalis with us today. Raven is the author of The Everyday Empath, Esoteric Empathy, Shadow Magic Compendium, Planetary Spells and Rituals, and Godcraft. Raven has been an Earth-based practitioner since 1999, a priest since 2003, a Freemason since 2012, and an empath all of his life.
2: He is the co-founder of a non-profit multicultural temple called Opus Aima Obscure, which pr- primarily observes neo-pagan and Hindu traditions, and he holds a degree in cultural anthropology from the University of Montana, and also is a professional tarot reader, DJ, card-carrying magician, small-scale farmer, and animal rights advocate. And with that, let's welcome Raven onto the show. Thanks
4: for coming on. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
3: Yeah, let's just jump right in. So I just wanted to ask, um, how would you define an empath? Like, what does that basically mean?
4: Um, So an empath is somebody who feels external emotions to a really high degree. And so many of us are really emotionally sensitive in different ways, uh, both to our emotions and to other people's. And those that could be called an empath in particular are those who absorb emotions really easily and a lot frequently from the outside. And, you know, I always say everybody is a psychic at heart. Everybody is an empath at heart. So these are just very natural human characteristics, but the thing that differentiates, you know, a psychic or an empath from others is that those abilities or skills are heightened. So, you know, an empath would go around and interact with somebody, with their emotions, whether they're, you know, angry, sad, happy, joyful, blissful, and then just feel that themselves. And that's different from sympathy, because sympathy means you feel for another person. Like, you know, I'm sorry you're going through that, that sucks, or great, I'm so so happy for you kind of thing. But empath, empathy implies absorbing those emotions in our daily life. Yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah, and um, you have your book, uh, The Everyday Empath. Uh, what exactly does that cover?
4: Yeah, so The Everyday Empath is the new one on Llewellyn. And it's really funny because I originally set out to write this kind of book first and then follow it up with Esoteric Empathy, which is more centered on like occultism and magic and witchcraft in a positive way. Um but I actually wrote them in reverse order somehow. So <laughs> the everyday Empath just came out and it's a, a book for everybody. And it just explains what empathy is, what an empath is. and it encourages a lot of, you know soul searching and a lot of honesty with oneself. And then also it looks into different ways that we can control our empathy in daily life so we don't get extremely overloaded.
3: Oh, that sounds very interesting. Um, I'll definitely check out your book. Um, I wanted to ask you, what's your backstory? Like, how did you discover that you're an empath?
4: Well, I'm petting my kitty cats right now, and that's like, (laughs) and they're so fluffy and cozy, and just love them so much. And I think you know, just like things like that, having that animal connection um, is a sign of empathy because it's like. You know, we want to care for those who deserve our care and love and um, feel safe with and that we can provide for. So those are empathic characteristics. Um, Basically, my backstory as far as empathy goes is that in high school, not like ages 16 and 17, I'm 36 now, but ages 16 and 17 were huge turning points for me in life, like massive amounts of awareness and curiosity and um, self-identity forming at that point. So um, I always think back to my empathic experiences then um, before I really understood how to control the empathy and all of those feelings and sensations that were coming in. So I remember being um, like late to class and that kind of threw me off kilter. I'm never on time. It's really hard for me to be on time, by the way. Um. even now. But that happened, and I had been interacting with some people who were in a bad mood, and I had you know, walked down the hallways, and there were all sorts of different energies coming at me from other people. I was wearing a pentacle necklace, which people were looking at, and then their energy was projecting into my sphere. And it was just like an overwhelming time. And then, of course, when we're teenagers, we have all these hormonal shifts going on a lot of which we can't really see until we're kind of through that period um, because they're happening so rapidly and we're kind of in the middle of it. But I remember a specific day, just walking through the hall and just having a bad day and just had a panic attack. And those are so intense. And so I just left school and I I was a really good student. I would never do something like that. I just couldn't handle it, just had to leave. And so I walked down to... um, spiritual elder's house, this woman who was was kind of a guide for me for a long time, Um, very encouraging, and I told her what was going on, I was just crying, I'm like, what is happening, why am I just overloaded with all these crazy emotions and doesn't even feel like my own emotions, and she's like, well, you're an empath, and I'm like, what is an empath, what does that mean, and so she just kind of described that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I really am an empath. Or could be considered an empath. Again, titles are just titles, labels, whatever. We're all empathic to different degrees. But it was really then when I realized, like, holy cow, this is intense and I need to figure out what this is and how to control it so I don't go completely crazy. Just partially crazy is okay, but not completely crazy.
2: Yeah. Um, Would you say that was mainly like a moment of self-realization or did you uh, kind of learn a lot from your uh, spiritual... I guess, leader, I guess, and just how to kind of realize those things about the world.
4: Yeah, it was definitely like a turning point of self-awareness and kind of the beginning of that particular journey. And I had been involved in Wicca and Buddhism and things before that for a while, but hadn't heard the term empath until then. And it wasn't really popular um, until... The two thousands is when the term started to become more popular. Which is interesting, the word empath and empathy are actually only about 150 years old, which is really recent. Wow,
2: yeah.
4: um, and same with terms like heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. These are only terms that are 150-ish years old. So it's really fascinating to learn about these like everyday words and terms and how new they really are. But Um, in the 70s there was the Star Trek episode from the first season where one of the characters called Jem is an empath and that's like her alien power or skill Um, and so that became incorporated in Star Trek I was never a Trekkie but kind of found out about that in my research so that term's been known for a while but not really used too commonly until more modern times but now you can go online and look up empathy. There's tons of books and articles and podcasts about what that is.
3: Wow. I, I didn't know that, you know, there are words like empathy, which are very frequent. I thought is there, like, for a long time. That's really fascinating. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I take an English class, and now that I think about it, maybe I could go and kind of see when the words were kind of developed. Um, so that's, like, a really interesting perspective I got. Um yeah, it so, comes from
4: German originally.
3: Oh um, oh wow. Know, yeah, linguistically. No. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. You know, um, we have a Latin class um, at my mm. school, and you know we learn about the roots and stuff. So mm. Mm, cool. yeah. Um, so going back to your story about you know high school and how you are overwhelmed with these emotions, so what can someone do when they're overloaded with empathy?
4: Well, it's really different for everybody. And one thing that I found I think really benefits everybody, though, um, is to do daily practice. And that means daily spiritual practice. And that doesn't have to mean any kind of religious practice. It could you know, include religious aspects if you want it to. But the thing about spirituality that I've come to believe is that spirituality is life itself. And... It's um, all about tapping into the divine, however we see it, which doesn't even have to be separate from ourselves and our experiences and our reality. So, like, for, for me, what works best is to get up in the morning and try not to check my phone, first thing. Uh, just try to take some deep breaths and then hop in the shower, cleanse out, connect with the water element give gratitude for the hot water, you know, things like that. And then just go right downstairs to my yoga mat in front of my altar or shrine and just do some, some physical yoga, uh, just kind of listening to the body. Maybe I'll put on some um, electronic music to wake up a little bit um, and then just kind of do that. And then I'll meditate for a few minutes, depending on the time allowance on any given day. Um, so some days that has to be quick, like five minutes. Sometimes I'll even be like driving to work and doing mantras in my car, counting the the beads and doing doing certain mantras, even if it's just OM. Um, and then other days I'll have like 20 to 40 minutes to do something and meditate and burn some incense and kind of give gratitude and align line for the day. So that actually reminds me of something that was discussed in... Um, a Hare Krishna class yesterday that I attended by a Hare Krishna guru of that tradition um, where he said that your connection to the divine is like a vertical line and then our connection to each other socially and to the world is like a horizontal line so it's like a T and we have to maintain a balance in both of those so if we just become overly social and just all about talking to other people and relating to other people we'll get really overloaded because then we're not coming back to ourself and back to spirit, same thing, um, and aligning ourselves. So that kind of daily practice can go a long way. And then there are other things we could do on a day-to-day basis, like choosing how much eye contact we have with another person. That's a big energy exchange there. Um, Choosing our environment that we interact in. Even, even metaphysical things like wearing certain stones like black tourmaline or certain oils, um, lots of different stuff. And my book really explores that quite a bit in The Everyday Empath.
2: Is there any way you've, I guess, noticed um, how your ability to, I guess, uh, feel other people 's emotions has that kind of ability have you noticed that ability grow with you as a person as you 've done like
4: practices and everything yeah definitely um, I think it kind of takes a different tone as those practices grow so that more positive emotions can be let in um, instead of just being overwhelmed with everything it 's a little be a little bit more selective at this point, so I can select more of what I absorb and kind of catch myself if i 'm absorbing something that I don't want to be, or that won't be helpful for myself or others.
3: You know? So, um, I wanted to ask you, is empathy something psychic and metaphysical, or is it also recognized by science?
4: Yeah, it's actually both. Um, mm. A lot of scientists would argue that it's not spiritual at all, but again, that just depends on a person's definition of metaphysics and spirituality. Um you know i don't I think there is nothing that is not spiritual um, uh, in energetic and metaphysical sciences we see this kind of um, awareness of empathy kind of similar to a psychic skill but it's more like emotional psychicism instead of just getting mental impressions premonitions things like that it's It's exclusively on the emotional plane whereas psychicism is is mental and cognitive um So it's very much metaphysical, but it's also physical and biological um, because modern neuroscience recognizes um, neurotransmitters and neurons that are actually even called mirror neurons. So the, the neurons by which we, in our experience, mirror others. And that's a way that we can understand our environment who we're interacting with, what's happening. And I was really surprised in my research to learn that empathy is um, an evolutionary trait. And it makes sense, too, because we need to empathize with each other and understand and get along with each other as a society in order to evolve. And so it's like the social glue that holds everybody together. So it's, you know... Scientific, evolutionary, and metaphysical or spiritual all at the same time
2: yeah, and you are you're obviously involved in a lot of different i guess types of spiritualities of uh, like neo paganism hinduism uh Buddhism. do you find that you have i guess like a common goal in um i guess pursuing all of these different
4: uh avenues of spirituality yeah, I guess that's the the big question it's like why. Why do this? Why why study it? What does it do? Well, I guess for me, it's all about um, becoming a better person um, and healing old wounds, healing uh, bad self-identity issues, um, <clears throat> becoming more in tune with the nature of the self and others, um, trying to do good work to help others in their lives. And that's really the point is service like that, to try to help others. And, you know, if I can... Um, do tarot readings or write books and make some money also that's helping me and you know i'm a person just as much as anyone else so it's really a give and take thing everybody can be helped in the process um so yeah it just really boils down to service and um helping make the world a better place even just a little bit every day if possible
3: Oh, I definitely agree. That's a really good goal, to kind of, you know, work on service and, you know, make the world a better place. That's, you know, I really admire that. Um, We we kind of touched on um, Hare Krishna and how you went somewhere. Um, So, you went to India recently, and did you learn anything about empathy during your visit
4: there? (laughs) Yeah, India is crazy, like a whole other universe. (laughs) I. When I got there, um, which was a long-time goal, I'm like, what is happening? It's like, can't even describe it, at least for me as like the super empath. Like so much stimulation, so much fast, fast, hurry energy and millions of cars and cows and animals and bicycles and people on the streets. And um, it was intense. And then, you know, you can just pull over on the side of the road well i can't because they drive on the other side of the road and i and even if they did drive on the right side of the road i would not drive there because holy cow but um you know you can pull over on the side of the road and go into a temple and where it's totally quiet and still and beautiful and peaceful and so india is like the land of contrasts and i think looking at contrasting things that's one thing i talk about in both my empathy books is really good for defining empathy um I think I even have an exercise in my first empathy book where I'm like, okay, try to go smell beautiful flowers and then go smell the trash can. And then like, look at these opposing sensations. Um, so like going over there definitely helped refine empathy by having this opposition to what we're used to in America in so many ways from the language to the everyday culture. Um, but also, probably more importantly, just socially, because empathy is so social, of a force. I would I went there and people, for the most part, were just so warm and nice and embracing. I even remember I was walking to um, get some bananas at a street stall, a street vendor, because there's tons of street vendors there. Um, of course, it's like 10 cents U.S. for a whole bunch of bananas. It's a really amazing exchange rate. But I was walking over there, and this, this guy came up to me, oh, probably early 20s, and, you know, big, tall, white, bald guy with a bunch of piercings stands out. He's like, hey. <laughs> He's basically like, where are you from? Who are you? But he didn't speak a word of English. And so we just had to rely on our empathic communication and – um pointing at things, um, symbolizing things with our hands so we we could successfully communicate a lot of things even though I barely speak Hindi and he didn't speak a word of English besides hello. So so that things like that are really big learning experiences empathically because it's like which other levels are we communicating on and can we communicate successfully without the words because words are just symbols anyway. Um, so things like that really were helpful.
2: Yeah, that's really cool, being able to, I guess, almost challenge your perceptions of, like, the world and
1: those okay, kinds of yeah. environments.
2: Yeah. Um, you talked about how, like, culturally it, um, you felt very, like, not overwhelmed, but very, like, embraced by the culture, I guess. Do you think there was a uh, any kind of, like, physical aspect to it? Because I know a lot of people kind of feel that way in maybe some, like, natural settings like that. Do you think there's anything to do with physical locations or, I guess, more physical features to certain places?
4: Yeah, I think that I have a lot of past lives in India. And a lot of those things kind of came back in a subtle memory kind of way. So um, emotionally, it created this um, connection, which I already knew was there, um, but is different kind of on the ground like that. Um and then just the sacred sites and things create that empathic bond, also, in a different way than we'll find in America.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I've been to India, you know, many times, and oh, I can great. tell you it's really different <laughs> than the United States. So, it's like, where where in
4: India?
3: Um, I'm actually from southern India. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> I've been there many times to visit my family and relatives, and I can tell you it's very different, you know, the environment and the energy. um, It's just like a complete new world, like you said, so I totally agree with you. Um, So I wanted to talk to you about the exercises in your newest book, um, specifically the one called Sitting with the Shadow. So why is it important to make peace with your shadow? That's a very fascinating and interesting topic, and... I would like a new, you know, outlook on that.
4: Yeah, and that could be a subject for a whole other chat. Um, I actually know somebody who just wrote a new book on on shadow work, uh, on Llewellyn also. So I'll put you guys in touch with her. It's really good, and she's letting me preview it. Um, but yeah, one of my books was called Shadow Magic Compendium, and is all about exploring the shadow, and um, it's really a lifelong journey. It, If we can go into our inner darkness and even look at the darkness in different ways of society, um, we can become more whole in our awareness, I believe. And that darkness can take many forms. It doesn't have to be bad or evil or anything, um, or even sad, but it's more like, you know, we have the daytime, very expressive. Then we have the nighttime, which is more internal, um, more subtle, more quiet, so there are just so many aspects to what a person can can call shadow or darkness um, that it's really neat to look at those different aspects. And if we're looking at um, the shadow in like a Jungian psychology sense, we'd be looking at what's suppressed or repressed within ourselves. And that's one facet of shadow that I think is really important to uh, look back on trauma that we might have had and try to heal that and learn different ways that we can heal that Um, or to look at, you know, negative self-image stuff and see if that judgment is really ours or if we're carrying it over from someone else, like some imprint, some experience in time or just from like the media um, and looking for the source of different things. So when we analyze the shadow, like in that exercise, we're kind of looking for the sources of, different, uh, things that might hold us back.
2: Yeah. Um, speaking about, you know, unconventional views, I guess, on negativity and darkness uh, earlier, you mentioned uh, esoteric empathy and how that relates to witchcraft and things like that. How exactly does that differ from, uh, what you touch on in the everyday empath?
4: Yeah. So in, um, esoteric empathy, it's, um, the focus is a lot more on, um, what to do with that emotional energy and really how to conduct it in more of a magical sense. So, that's written for people who have, you know, at least some experience with learning about magic, uh, magical spirituality in different ways. Um, So, in that book, like for example, there's a whole chapter on projective empathy rather than just absorptive empathy. And so, empathy in itself is, is absorptive. Like I said, we're like emotional sponges, and we all have those moments where it's on high or it's on low. just depends. But then it's like, okay, here's all this energy right here, and what do I do with it? And so we can focus on that and choose to project it out in a different way. Because we're also projecting emotions, too, that others are absorbing all the time. Um, even if it just feels like we are absorbing it a lot of the time, we're still projectors too so like that chapter is about um energy work and utilizing magic and um self-awareness to take that energy that's inside and project it out in a like a lighter way in a more uplifting way if it feels negative um so that book looks at more like you know magical for lack of better words exercises to work with that energy Um, Whereas the new book, uh, Everyday Empath, is more like a primer. So I would suggest somebody read that one first, Um, especially if they're kind of new to spiritual stuff, because it's kind of open to everyone. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm, Yeah, I think humans are projectors. Like, I like how you described that. And um, you kind of talked about mirror neurons um, a little while ago. And I took psychology last year, and I was like, oh, wow, it's an application of a mirror neuron. So I was mm-hmm. like, that's that's amazing, you know, coming from you. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's really existing. Um, so you talked about tarot readings. Um, can you, like, explain what those are and, you know, what the practices?
4: Yeah, so tarot is an old system, Um You know, the modern day playing cards are actually based on tarot cards, not the other way around, which I find really crazy. But their origins are very obscured historically. So tarot um, is said to come from Italy, from France, from ancient Egypt, from um, ancient uh, Judaism, from all these different places. Maybe it came from all of them. Who knows? But the modern form of the tarot... Um, true tarot is aligned to esoteric Kabbalah, which is a big term, um, which is connected to old ancient Jewish pre-Judaic pre mysticism. Um, it's also connected to astrology. Each of the cards are uh, traditionally ruled by a different planet or a different zodiac sign. And depending on the deck, you'll find... Tons of different alignments for each of the cards' energy. And, and so, in theory, the tarot, the deck of tarot cards represents reality, like little windows to reality, into a little pack of cards. And you can get any combination of cards, and it'll reveal something different. Um, so, tarot reading is um, a skill that's psychological, spiritual, energetic. um and really covers the past, present, future, all sorts of things. And, you know, they're not evil or dangerous or anything like that any more than reality itself is, because that's what they represent. Right.
2: That's really cool.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And then there's also Oracle cards, which is different. So if you see a deck that's called, like, the Angel Oracle or something... Um, Oracle cards are more like inspiration. It does look and like, oh, inspiration
1: cards.
2: Yeah, it's it's. I'm sorry. It's been really great to talking to you. Uh, but unfortunately, it does look like we are out of time now. Um, Raven, okay. I again, I just want to thank you for coming out to the show. It's been really fascinating talking to you today.
4: Yeah, thanks for chatting, guys. It's been great. Yeah.
2: Um, audience, be sure to find out more about Raven on www.ravendigitalis.com or www.facebook.com/ravendigitalis. Uh, is there anything else you want to add?
4: No, just uh, lots of gratitude to you guys and the good outreach that you do. It's really awesome. And keep on keeping on because the world needs creative souls like you and many blessings to you guys and all the listeners. Thank you. Thank you you so much,
3: Raven. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, please pick up a copy of our newest anthology, Be the Star You Are Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world, which you can find on Amazon and other book retailers. And please visit www.bethestarur for more information about Express Yourself and Be The Star You Are. And I'm Siri Panindra, and keep listening to Express Yourself as, as we continue with the gift of grace.
4: Namaste. Thank you.
1: It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens.
0: Looking for a show about your favorite movies, stars, and DVD releases? Get ready for Kids First Coming Attractions on Voice America Kids Channel. Your hosts, the Kids First Film Critics, preview all the latest movies before they're released interview stars on the red carpet and share their reviews with you so you can make informed decisions about what you select to see our reporters ages 7 to 16 will bring you a kid's perspective on these films kids first coming attractions is heard every tuesday at 4 p.m eastern 1 p.m pacific on voice america kids success starts here voice america it's your world
2: Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world across the world a voice to be listened to. I'm Kenneth John.
3: And I'm Siri Panindra. To close off our show on the gift of grace, we have Express Yourself reporter Arjun Clare here today to give us another edition of his segment, Innovation Nation.
5: Arjun, take it away. Hi everyone, my name is Arjun Clare, and I'm happy to be coming to you again with another edition of Innovation Nation. Today's themes are grace and empathy. And these themes can be applied in a number of ways to innovation. A key to innovation is to make things simpler for people, to reimagine something in a simpler, more streamlined way that allows people to do the same thing just in a quicker fashion or with less friction. However, before you can start innovating and reimagining something that is already there, the first thing that you should do is to empathize with the people that are going to eventually use the product or service that you are designing. Empathizing with the end users is very important because it allows you to fully comprehend what people actually want to need instead of what you think they want to need. Understanding what the end users need is very important because it allows you to see what is wrong with the way things currently are. And that allows you to understand what you should add or take away to improve upon it. A good example of this is the innovation of opening the trunk of a car with your foot. Some of you may be familiar with this feature. It's a simple design, but so effective in helping people who have their hands full. This feature is available on newer car models and allows you to walk up to your car. And instead of pulling the trunk open, you can simply wave your foot underneath the car and your trunk will open for you. Even though you can click a button on your key fob and open the trunk if your hands are full, this isn't possible. So this need was recognized and car companies addressed it by adding a simple feature of waving your foot under the bumper and presto, the trunk opens and you can lay your stuff in the back of your vehicle. This feature was invented by Ford and was first installed on their Ford Escape SUV and was an immediate hit when it arrived in the market. However, to get to this point, Ford had to first recognize this to be a problem and then they empathize with their customers they realized that many people had trouble opening the trunk when their hands were full of groceries or packages. To address this problem, they first went and talked to the people who experienced this challenge. And through this, they were able to innovate and come up with a solution, a kick-activated tailgate. Even after creating this feature, Ford still spent months working in a human-machine interface laboratory, testing and retesting it to make sure that it fit every possible need that the people wanted. They made sure that it would only recognize a foot and not something that you might drive over like a pothole and you have your trunk suddenly spring open. They also made sure that the tailgate system can only be activated when it recognizes the remote entry key on the person, so you don't have to pull out your key fob to unlock the doors because the system automatically recognizes it. Another innovation that is often overlooked is portable chargers. Nowadays. Many portable chargers look sleek and often go unnoticed by other people. However, when smartphones first came out, there was no such thing as a portable charger. The first portable charger was made in 2013, six years after the first iPhone was introduced to the world. To make a portable charger, the creators first empathized with the end users, put themselves in their shoes, and realizing that in everyday life, phones were constantly being used, but they ran out of battery very quickly. After realizing this, the creators began thinking of ways to fix this growing problem and came up with portable chargers. Over the years, portable chargers have become smaller and better looking and are carried by many. Another great example involves Disney and their Magic Bands that were introduced in 2013. Now, if you don't know what these are, you should jump online and check them out. Employees noticed that in the park, parents were constantly flustered and worried about all the things that they had to carry. They would have a backpack with them, their kids running around, and they would have to take out their wallets to pay for food. They would drop things and have to keep track of items like their room keys, fast passes, and all the other things that they were carrying and needing to worry about. This led to Disney to try and think of a way to make life a little simpler for the parkgoers and to cut down on the stress some parents may experience when they should be having a magical time. Disney empathized with their customers, and in particular, parents, and thought about what could be done to enhance their Disney experience. Eventually, this led to what Disney called their Magic Bands. These stylish bands, offered in in various colors, such as green, blue, gray, pink, yellow, orange, and red, were offered to those who stayed in the Disney hotel and came to the park. Everything was already preloaded onto the wristbands, including the guests' room keys, credit cards, and fast passes. So instead of having to keep track of these things individually, they could just wave their Magic Bands and get it done instantly and seamlessly. The Magic Bands even allow you to place your order and reservation at a restaurant. So when you arrive, you're instantly greeted and served without having to order and pay. To appeal to kids, Disney even made the wristbands customizable so that kids would make theirs before they even got to the park. And in a stroke of genius, the Disney experience starts even before park goers get to the park. That's because Disney mails the wristbands in a sleek-looking box that arrives at the guest's house before they've even left for Disneyland. This gets customers excited even before they've packed their bags. Disney even allows the guests to keep the bands after their visit, as a small souvenir to always remind them of their visit. And if you plan on returning, then you can continue using the same band that like you used before. So as you can see, empathy plays a huge role when it comes to innovation. If innovators don't take the time to place themselves in the end user's shoes so they can understand and learn from a first-hand perspective, they can easily miss the mark. No matter how amazing their innovation or solution may be, if it doesn't resonate with the intended customer, they won't use it.
1: Wow,
2: that was really interesting. I've never really thought about like all those little things that take so much understanding to really uh, implement and create. Especially with the Disneyland thing, there's so many kind of like a trillion details that I wouldn't even think of unless I, you know, really got into the mindset of the customer. Um, but like at beginning of the process, like the first steps. So how does one go about uh, being empathetic? What are the first few steps that you take?
5: Uh, Well, the saying that a lot of people go by is walking a mile in someone else's shoes to get into their shoes and see the world from their perspective to understand what they want and need. And when you ask uh, the consumers of your product, you should be asking questions and then actively listening to what they're saying and always ask the why behind their answers to gain a deeper understanding of why they want what they actually want. Another way to be empathetic is through observations. Just being immersed in someone's world and picking up on the details and being curious. Always asking why, why, why.
3: Hmm, that's interesting. I, I like how you took a business perspective on so many different products, like the Disneyland one. And I truly feel products and services, they're kind of like transactions of value, And it's what the product provides to the customers. And, you know, I I thought this was great. Um, So can you be innovative without being empathetic? Can you kind of explain, you know, the balance between those two, please?
5: Of course. You can throw ideas together and then test them and learn from the feedback that you get on your prototypes. So being empathetic after you've pulled something together. However, the need to gain empathy shouldn't stop you from being innovative at all. You should always try something, but being empathetic towards the end users will always help. It won't hurt you in any way.
2: Yeah, and we saw a lot of great examples of how empathy was used to come up with new products and new inventions. Um, Do you have any examples of how empathy was used to alter a process? Uh,
5: A great example is actually Amazon's one-click buying, which they actually got a patent for. Uh, If you're not familiar with how it works, uh, it works if you're a Prime member. You just find the item that you want, and if you'd like to buy it, you can click the one-click button, and boom, the transaction is complete. Instead of having to add the item to your cart, then go enter your credit card information, choose the destination that you want it shipped, all of that stuff is already preloaded, and so you can just click one button, and it's already ordered for you.
3: Wow, Amazon really seems to be at the forefront of innovation. You know, I think they're kind of like a big player in this um, retail industry. So that's really great. Um, Does Amazon also have other innovations or like simplistic features that are just as empathetic as their one-click buying?
5: Of course. Amazon came up with something called a dash button. Basically, if you buy a product really often, you can buy a dash button. And you can put them around the house, or in your office, or maybe on your refrigerator. So when you run out of something, instead of having to go onto Amazon and order it, all you have to do is click the dash button, and the order is immediately placed.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. Again, I think Amazon is really doing like a lot in how like streamlining retail. I guess um, I was in Seattle like a few weeks ago, and we had some time to kill, and we went to the Amazon Go store. Those are a pretty cool experience where you just don't need to like go through a cashier, don't need to really pay. You just walk out, and like the machine just scans your phone, and you just get charged. Um, yeah, uh, but those are kind of like consumer products, I guess. Do you know any other examples where empathy has come into play when it comes to uh, designing services, I guess?
5: Yeah, a very good example is the current MRI machine. Uh, the man who created the MRI machine was very pleased with what he created. And it really helped the whole process go smoother. However, when he went to go observe how, how patients were doing with the MRI machine, he noticed that a lot of kids, and even adults, but mainly kids, were having a lot of trouble uh, like going into the MRI machine. They were always very scared. And around 80%, 80% of the kids that were going to get a scan had to be sedated. And so what he did is he made it into a whole experience. The nurses would dress up as like astronauts or pirates and they just stuck stickers all over the MRI machine and they made the bumps and bangs that the MRI machine made a part of the story. And so less than 2% of the kids now actually have to get sedated.
2: Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. This has been really interesting. Uh, We are out of time now. So With that, uh, we end our show on the gift of grace. Arjun, I want to thank you for coming on and sharing with us today. Again, it was really fascinating. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. As always, we give our thanks to StarStyle Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world. And thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Kenneth John.
3: And I'm Siri Panindra, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teams talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, you can go to our main site at Um
0: empathize others, speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. She